Okay, let me uh, just have you take your Bibles and turn to John the 15th chapter. John chapter 15. A couple of things to remind you uh, as you think about this week, coming week. Um, just heard on the way over here that uh, Dolores Warner fell at, uh, over at uh, Fountain View Village and broke her pelvis. So she's in the emergency room at uh, Shea. Joyce Edwards with her. And Chip just sent me a thing a little minute ago that, that he'll probably be heading back here tomorrow. So keep all that in your prayers, too. Hopefully they'll get her situated. They talk about only keeping her a couple of days, so I don't know what all that, But it's non-surgical. They can't do anything surgical about it. Also, looks like uh, Jody shared with me this afternoon that a lawn service will be, looks like right now, that is set for Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning. So uh, just put that on your calendar. If that changes, we'll get the notification out right away. Uh, just to give you an idea, following Saturday at 2 o'clock, we'll have the service for Durwood uh, Canham. So both those services are coming up here the ne- for the next two Saturdays. So keep those families in prayer. Okay? All right. We are in the midst of this study on Jesus' seven statements of I am. Uh, I think this is the last one. Uh, so we've looked at, at his declaration of who he is. And... Our expression of faith is in in the uh, willingness on our part to receive him and to relate to him as who he is, uh, for who he is. And there's no, probably there's no greater, if I can put it that way, no greater expression of, of, on our part that we need to, we need to relate to him and respond to him other than what he's talking about in the passage here tonight. Because here he, he talks about that, he says, I am the true vine. And what does that mean to us? Well, let's read the verses and then we'll talk about it. So starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 8 together. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean that Jesus claims to be the vine, and then he calls us the branches? What's the relationship he's trying to help us see here? What's important for us to, to be able to respond to what Jesus is saying about himself. Well, let me just begin by saying in chapter 15, he's not talking about the initiation of salvation here. He is really talking about those who already are saved. And we'll talk about that when we get to verse 3 there, because verse 3 says you're already clean. So he's not talking about coming to him. He's not talking about receiving him as Savior. And one of the things a lot of Christians miss, and I think... It may be the problem of, of lack of discipleship or lack of teaching of people is they think that all that there is to the Christian faith is trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now that's true, that we must trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
We must put our life in his hands. We must acknowledge we're sinners and that we can't fix that and, and come to the place under the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, that, that, that we need a Savior. And, that, and secondly, that Jesus is that Savior. So, again, that's the work of God toward us. Okay, None of us figured that out on our own. And none of, none of us are super spiritual or super smart. I uh, say, so speak for yourself, Pastor. I'm pretty smart, right? So, uh, but, but even if you're the most intelligent person in the world, it would not guarantee that you would come to Jesus as Savior because that's only done by the work of the Holy Spirit in an individual life. Without the Holy Spirit doing that, nobody would be saved. If God took his hand off of us and said, find your own way, the, 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 what would be, the result would be that none of us could find our own way. Matter of fact, our inclination would always be to go away from God. Everybody got that? Not toward God. So, in this passage, he's not talking about the initial act of salvation, but he's talking about something more for us as Christians. Because as he closes this, he says, he says, so you will be what? My what? You will be what? It says right there. It's not a trick question. Get with me here. The end of verse 8. You, did I say 5? Did, did I lead you astray? You will be my disciples have you figured it out yet it's possible to be a believer in Jesus Christ yet not be one of his disciples but let me just say this it ought not to be that way it ought to be and remember the commission that we are to go and make what not converts but we are to make disciples now certainly conversion is a part of that process but unfortunately, many evangelicals have start, stopped at the point of conversion, never carrying it on, helping people what, know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus has called us not only to trust him as Savior, but he has also called us to follow him as Lord. So that what that means is, that's a two-part thing there. That is, that is, when we trust him as Savior, we are set apart and we belong to him. And nothing can change that. That's, that's the eternal promise we have in God. Okay? But... So that's our position, unchangeable. But, but our practice ought to be always responding, always submitting, always surrendering to the Holy Spirit so that he can t continually make us into the very image of Christ. Something's wrong when a Christian's not growing. We just have to, we, we have to start acknowledging that, particularly in our own life. Don't look, don't look at someone else and say, well, you ought to be growing more. In our own life, okay? Something is wrong if we're not growing. And something is wrong if we're not producing godly fruit. Now, don't carry that to the place where some people say that that is always seen just by winning converts. You can't win a convert anyway. I, I wish we get past some of that. You can't, you can't save anybody. You can't win anybody. Uh, only God can do those things. Now, he can certainly use you and use me to touch someone with the message. That's what he does all the time. But... But the, the fruit that, that, that he has called us to produce is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, where the Spirit is working through us, I believe will naturally bring people across our path that we can share the gospel with and, and help them understand uh, the truth of the gospel as the Holy Spirit speaks that truth in their life. So, here's the point. Your position in Christ is secure if you're born again. Unchangeable. That's Christ in you. Okay? But there's a second part. The next question, and by the way, Christ in you is unchangeable fact. If he's your Savior, he's your eternal Savior. He'll never leave you. But where we have issue with is, do we live in Christ? That's the rub for many Christians. Because we choose to walk in the flesh, and we choose to go our own way. We choose to not to acknowledge him as Lord of every area of our life. 
we choose not to be his disciples. And that may be why Christianity is weak. I think it is why Christianity is weak today. And in many cases, ineffective. We've attached Jesus onto our life instead of, instead of recognizing Jesus as our life. Two different things. And Christians are very comfortable attaching things. We attach all kinds of things. You know, it's like putting stuff on the Christmas tree. We like to decorate ourselves up and look good. We don't mind doing that. And we don't mind if Jesus is one of those decorations. But Jesus doesn't want to be a decoration. He is to be Lord. And if he's to be Lord, we have to be responsive to him. And you still, you have the ability because you are uh, a child of God. You have the ability now to make that choice. Okay. I always say sinners sin because that's who they are. Okay. But we sin without excuse, the Bible says. And now we have been moved from a place of being spiritually dead to spiritual life. Part of that ability in spiritual life, if we go all all the way back to the beginning when the, the, the man and the woman were in perfection, was that they had the ability to genuinely respond to God. Unfortunately, their response was not a good response. We would all agree with that. Now you have the ability to do something you never could do before you were saved, before you were born again. You have the ability now to respond to God. But also, unfortunately, that means you have the ability to say no. Okay, Would you agree with that or not? God didn't make you into a, ro- a robot when you got saved. He made you into his child. Okay, And he gave you the Holy Spirit. The question now is how are we going to respond to the Holy Spirit? Will we be submitted, submitted to the Holy Spirit? Or will we grieve the Holy Spirit? Will we, will we stand against the Holy Spirit? Or will we respond to him? So Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. Those who would be his disciples. I think he's speaking to us here. And he wants us to, to realize that he is the vine. Look at verse 1 there. He says, I am the true vine. There's a reason why I put the true there. Uh, we, we live in a day and time when there are a lot of vines out there, are there not? A lot of movements, a lot of uh, leaders, a lot of personalities that they just want you to hitch their wagon to them. And if you do, then, then you'll have life made. Just read their book, follow their, 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 their program, do all the, buy all their tapes, buy all their CDs and stuff, and just go down their little ABC process. And when you do, your life will be everything it needs to be. Yeah, you know, and you'll you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity, and everything in life. It usually is the one speaking those things and selling you the tapes and and all those taking your money and stuff that has all those things. While you're sitting back there saying, "I'm still waiting for mine." Okay, Jesus says, "I am the true vine," and that's important. That means that that word "true" means that He is the only vine. He is the only one that can literally change your life and change your life uh, from a, from an, etern- an eternal perspective. So, because he says, I'm the true vine, and then he goes on to say, and my father is the vine dresser. So he says, he's basically saying, my father is in charge of the vineyard. You know, it's my father's vineyard. I'm the vine that my father sent. When you attach yourself to me, as long as you're attached to me, get the picture here, then you'll produce the fruit that, the fruit, fruit, excuse me, that my father, who is a vine dresser, designed you to produce. If you don't attach yourself to me, if you don't re- recognize that I'm the true vine, then, then you're useless. And he actually says that here. So he says, I, I am the vine. And, and we need to understand, in Jesus' analogy here, and if you know anything about, uh, about any kind of growing things, if, if the branch is not attached to the vine, or to the main part of the tree, if you will, then that, if you cut off the branch, if that was a real, that's not going to produce anything anyway. But, but if it was real, 
and, and that was actually a tree planted and it was producing stuff. If I took one of these branches off, cut it off, and threw it on the ground over there, what would happen to that branch? It would wither and die. Would anything be produced of that? But if you nurture the vine or the tree itself and, you, and, and all the branches stay attached to that, then that tree will produce fruit. So God is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the whole vineyard. Jesus is the vine that we're attached to, but, but we cannot produce anything unless we're attached to that vine. That's what Jesus says here. I am the vine. And he, and he, and he goes on to tell us that we cannot produce anything without him. Okay? Verse 2 tells us, Every branch in me that does not hear, does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. He says, in him is where we produce fruit. So, if you think about it from a spiritual sense, who is the producer of the fruit? Go back to the analogy. Who, what is the producer of the fruit? Is it the vine or is it the branch? And the answer is, it is the vine. Now, in, in, in our spiritual walk, who is it that produces fruit in us? Is it the branch? Does God, again, does God cut us off and say, go do the best you can? Or is the only way that we can actually walk as disciples, genuine disciples of Jesus, is that we abide in him. We're attached to him. Because it's not we who produce anything. It's the vine that produces fruit in and through us. We're the branch. But the branch does not have capability to produce fruit. Everybody got that? And, and I know preachers have probably told you through your life, because they've told me this through your life, and I probably said it when I was a younger pastor in, in my ignorance, was, you know, you just got to work your hardest to, to do for God the best you can do. That is not a biblical statement. That is not a New Testament statement at all. Jesus does not send us out there to do the best we can do. Because what will happen if we're out there on our own doing the best we can do? The same thing that will happen to the branch. It's only as we are walking in the Spirit, surrendered to the Spirit, where Jesus is working through us, that, that the spiritual fruit is produced. So, in Him, we produce fruit. So, what should be your focus? Here's what I believe. I believe that the branch does not spend a whole lot of time thinking about what fruit it's going to produce. But I think the branch just produces whatever fruit according to the vine that it's attached to. If it's an orange tree, it produces oranges. If it's an apple tree, it produces apples. You know what I'm saying? The branch, by the way, you, you probably know this. You can take some branches off some tree, graft them into a tree that's another root, and produce. Kind of goofy, isn't it? So, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to produce fruit in church. What's the next best thing that we can reach more people? What's the next best thing that we can do to get more people involved and so that we can win more souls? And, we, and again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing things. I'm just saying that sometimes we spend more time trying to figure out how we're going to produce for, for, for Jesus. And we say, I got it, God, and we walk on out without him. The branch never spends any time considering what kind of fruit it produces. The, the branch automatically produces the fruit according to the vine that it's attached to. So again, what should be our focus? Our focus should never be, what do I need to do? What can I do for God? What kind of fruit do I need to produce? Our focus should be, am I, am I abiding in Jesus who is the branch? 
that's a daily thing we have to do as Christians. That's, that, that ought to be our focus every day. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in the book, in, in the 12th chapter of the book, and he said, and it says this, he said, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus does not mean just looking at Jesus. It means really focusing on Jesus to be everything he is and needs to be in your life. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Now, that doesn't mean he's absent in the in-between time. He didn't save you, and then when you get to the end of it, take you home. Author and the finisher means that he is the beginning and the end, and he's everything in between. And that's why we must keep our, our focus on him. And that's why daily we need, to, we need to say, my priority today, my, what, what, I, what I desire to do today is to abide in Jesus Christ. And whatever fruit comes out of that day belongs to him because he's the vine. Think it on this scale. When, they, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say, who people say I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? He mirrored Peter said, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you, Peter. And then he makes this statement, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who's in heaven. And then he makes this statement. And I will, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church that's strong, the church that's eternally strong is a church that's built by Jesus, not built by Jesus' people. Now, I'd probably get in trouble in some seminary classes for what I just said. Heresy! It's not heresy, it's biblical truth, folks. Jesus builds his church. Will he use us? I hope he does. I, I hope he privileges us to be a part of, of his great work. But it's his work. He said it. I, you know, and for us to come and claim it from him or try to take it from him is to lead people in a, in a wrong direction. We can build ministries and we can build movements and we can do all these kind of things. But at the end of those things, what do we have? We have men's ministries. We have men's, men's movements. Instead of, instead of lives that are eternally changed for God. Now, can God work in the midst of our, our, what I would call our tomfoolery? Of course he could. Because he's bigger than, our, than our, our limitation. But can you imagine what would happen if the church just got on board with Jesus? And we made the issue of our everyday just abiding in Christ. And then seeing what Jesus produces through his church. Can you imagine a, a church of 200 even that would say, oh, our desire is just to abide in Christ. We just want Jesus. We want more of Jesus. We want to experience Jesus. We want to celebrate Jesus. We want to worship Jesus. We want to listen to Jesus and we want to follow Jesus wherever, wherever he goes. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. Whatever Jesus is doing, that's what I want to do. I want Jesus to be the focus of my life. Can you imagine what could happen in Fountain Hills if our church would get on board with something like that? Instead of assuming... You know, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. And you know, you know that, that attitude of working hard, I see it so often. I've seen it in this church and every church that I've been in. It, it, it just breeds resentment. I'm telling you, it does. Because what we begin to do is we look at other people, well, why aren't they doing as much as I'm doing? Or, even worse, well, look, I thought this was my ministry and so-and-so is doing my ministry now. Then, then I, just won't, I just won't do it. The pettiness of some of this, it's just really beyond the pale for people that are supposed to be God's people. We ought not to own anything on this world. We ought to not, ought not to own anything in this church. It belongs to him. And it ought to be his ministry. And if he wants to raise up someone you don't like too much to come alongside of you, well, 
you know, I would say just get over it and trust Him. Stop looking at selfish. I'm not talking to anybody here. Well, if I am, I'll let the Holy Spirit talk to you. So, uh, you know. You yeah, yeah. So, but this is. I think this this becomes a, and, and James actually said, "Where does where does pettiness? Where does fighting? Where does where does this thing come up with, from within? It comes from within, from a people that that have taken really have taken their focus off of Jesus and put it put it on things and and, and events and and movements and self and all these kind of things. And then we have wars and battles within the church, and it ought not to be that way." If we're really looking to Jesus, and Jesus is, is leading us, we ought to be walking as one people. That's why he says one body, one, 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 you know, one people, one church. So when we see that, we need to remind, remind that it is, it is Jesus. Verse 2, it is Jesus who produces the fruit. And we can only produce it in him. And apart from him, that cannot possibly happen. Look at verse 4 now with me. It says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in and of itself, unless it abides in Unless it abides in vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, the two parts there. What's he say? You abide in me, and I abide in you. Both these things have to be true. Everybody got that? Both these things have to be true. If you want to know why you see, maybe you're experiencing an ineffective Christian life and a Christian walk, you may find the answer right here. You may personally find the answer right here. I really think it's the, the big thing in the church. I do. I think we have a lot of saved people, and I believe they're saved. I'm talking about the church as a whole, not just our church. A lot of saved people, and I believe they're saved, people who have never discovered what Christianity is really about. And so, once again, they don't know the call. They've never heard the call to really have Christ abide in them. And they don't even see the need for that. But Jesus reminds us once again, he is the one who bears the fruit. Look at verse 5. He said, and this is probably the, the most famous part of this whole passage that people like to quote. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. Notice, he, again, he, he deals with both parts. He who abides in me, and I in him, will produce much fruit. Both of those things are, are, are crucial. You know, uh, I, I think a lot of people, uh, it's like, I, I did a sermon on this one time called Two Scoop Christianity. And my thought was, you know, when I go to an ice cream store, I want two scoops. Two scoops are always better than one scoop. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians are selling for one scoop. They have Christ in them, but they have not learned how to abide in Christ. The second scoop is abiding in Christ. And two scoops is always better than one scoop. Okay. So when you, when you think about it that way, again, Jesus reminds us that both these things are important. Jesus must be in you or you cannot do, nothing, do anything. But also, you must be in Jesus or nothing's going to be accomplished. Both those things are important. But certainly you need to understand, you can't be in Jesus unless Jesus is in you. You can't be submitted to the Holy Spirit unless Jesus is in you. Okay? So that brings me to my second point. Look at verse 3 and here's what he, he reminds here. Jesus is our promise and he is our eternal provision. It's interesting to me that in the midst of talking about abiding and all this stuff, Jesus takes a moment in verse 3 to make this, this wonderful statement. You are already clean. He is talking about our eternal standing there. Jesus has already cleaned us. He has already forgiven us. Our sins are washed away. We stand before our Heavenly Father as a righteous people. Not self-righteous, 
but, but made righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ. So he said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So who made Jesus' followers clean? And the answer is, Jesus made them clean. Who made you clean? Do you remember what, what you were like when Jesus found you? The life you were in, the things you did, what you said, the things you thought? Okay. Isn't it, don't you think it's just a little bit more than amazing that Jesus has taken those things, all those things out of the way? How about what you've said and thought and, 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 and done since you've been saved? I know you all just walked perfectly since that time, right? And yet the truth is all those things are gone too. It, it's incredible to me to think about that God looks at me and I know all the things I've done pre and post salvation. Okay? But when God looks at me, he sees, he sees me clean. He accepts me as being righteous. In my flesh, I know there's nothing righteous, but, but he, because of what his son has done, he, he sees me that way. And because he does, I, because of what Jesus has done, I'm acceptable to God. And that's, that's something that cannot be changed. That's why Jesus, I think he takes his time to, he doesn't want his disciples here, and I don't think he wants us to be confused about this. He's not talking about, this whole passage is not, talk about coming to salvation he's talking to those who are saved you are already clean because of the words that I spoke to you this message is for those who are already believers in Jesus Christ who know that their sins are forgiven who know that they have eternal life who know that they are the children of God what a great bit of knowledge bit enormous bit of knowledge uh, that is for us how glorious that is for us to know you know it's, it's the wonder, wonder of, of, of the work of God. So, so should the Lord decide to come take us home tonight, one of us home tonight or all of us home tonight, we can know that when we leave this world, we're going to be in his presence. Why? Because we're good? No. Because we did a bunch of things? No. But because of what he has accomplished, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. If you ever needed a reason to think about why you ought to be worshiped, Jesus, there's a reason. Because nobody else could do that for you. Nobody else could do that for any of us. Only Jesus could do such a thing as that. He can make us completely right. And his statement here to his disciples is that that is a done deal. They're already clean. Past tense, you're already clean. So, again, I would say to you, if you are born again, your standing before God is perfect. And nothing, listen, nothing whatsoever can change that perfection. Because it's not you who made yourself perfect, it's Christ who made you perfect. And if you want to argue with him about that, because I know some people say, well, you can lose your salvation, you can do that. You, want to argue, you can go ahead and argue with him about it, but it belongs to him. If you believe that you had some part, and you deserve some credit in your salvation then maybe you can try to build up for yourself a theology that says you can lose what you, how do you lose what you cannot earn? And God would not give us something just to take it back. He's not like us. So Jesus says you're already clean. Now look at verse 6 with me. If anyone does not abide in me. Now this ought to catch your, you know, that little antenna that goes up. Because again, who is the anyone? Well, in context, the anyone is, is talking to those who have already have a, who have a relationship with him. Again, he's not talking to lost people here. 
Now this becomes scary, because look what he says here. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them in the fire, and they are burned. Now there are those who take this again. See, I told you you could lose your salvation. See, this represents hell, and you're going to go to hell, and you're going to burn in hell fire forever. It has nothing to do with hell, nothing to do with hell fire. Remember, he's drawn an analogy here for us. And I just showed you the analogy. If the branch is disconnected from the vine, the only thing that can happen to the branch is it wither and die. And a branch that's withered and a branch that has dead is dead has only really one useful purpose left. What's that? To burn. Okay? We were saved in Christ Jesus, not by good works, Paul says, but we were saved in Christ Jesus unto good works. James goes on to say that, that it is by those good works that Christ produces in us that, that our faith is made known, is shown, is made evident. Okay? Again, those good works are not what we do to prove that we're saved. They, they are the fruit again. They are the work of God in us that shows that we are saved. If you are saved, the fruit will be there. If you are abiding in him. You say, is it possible for someone to be saved and not produce any fruit? Yes, happens all the time. Just as I said it was possible for people to be believers in Jesus Christ, but not to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It ought not to be that way. It's unnatural. It's so unnatural that it brings about death. There are, there are statements in the scripture that, that ought to give us great caution as, as Christian people. And only God knows how these things apply. I, I certainly don't know how they apply. But you'll, if you'll remember when, when Paul was teaching about the Lord's Supper in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he warned them about taking of it in an unworthy manner. And he said, some of you are sick because you've done that, and some of you have actually died. Pretty incredible statement. John in his epistle said that for the Christian, there are some sins that actually lead to death. In other words, we could get so far away from God, and we, could, we actually could cross the line, and it could result in our death. Eternal death, no. But our death in this life, it certainly could, because there are consequences to those things. A Christian, what Jesus is saying here in verse 6, a Christian that is not abiding in Christ. Now remember, a Christian is someone who has Christ abiding in them. But a Christian that's not abiding in Christ is useless. How can, we, how can we be effective in producing the fruit of God if we're not abiding in the vine? It's an impossibility. That's what Jesus is saying here. So we have a lot of fruitless Christians because what they've learned is trust Jesus as your Savior, but they've never been brought to the other side. The continuation of that is that you also must follow Jesus as your Lord. Now, there are a lot, of, a lot of theologians out there that have picked on John MacArthur for a lot, of, a lot of different things. They don't like John very much. And one of the things they like to pick on him about is what, what's called lordship salvation. And they say, well, you know, John requires that his people receive Jesus Christ as, as Savior and Lord. And then they go on and say, but the Bible says all you need to do is accept Jesus as Savior. What John is actually saying is what we're talking about here. 
what should be the natural, what should be true of every born-again Christian is that Jesus is not just your Savior, but Jesus is your Lord also. And if that's not true, something's wrong. Something's just wrong. And maybe it's become so commonplace in our churches that we don't see it as wrong anymore. Kind of like what the world has done with so many things. So many things have become commonplace in the world that the world doesn't see anything wrong with them. And maybe we've done that in the church also. It's Jesus who said that we must trust him, but it's also Jesus who said that we must obey him, we must, we must respond to him, we must abide in him. It's Jesus who said that. It wasn't John MacArthur. It was Jesus who said that. And we're teaching just halfway if we're telling people, just trust Jesus as Lord. Some people call that easy believism. Cheap grace. I don't like the word cheap grace because I don't know, I don't know, I don't get, those two never go, those are oxymorons, there's no such thing. But, but, but it's, it's to make a point that people say stuff like that where, where, where we, we call it one, two, three, believism. Just say this word, say this prayer, and you're okay. And never intend for there to be a genuine heart change. Just say what you want to say and never teach people that to be, to be a, a believer is, is also a call to be a follower. Once again, in Jesus' great commission, we are to make disciples. We are to make followers. We're to help people see Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord also. So look at me, verse 7 and 8, and we'll close our time out tonight. He said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. We abiding in Jesus, that's our ongoing decision, produces what God desires in us, and that always brings glory to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, how many of you have ever heard the verse, where two or three get, uh, agree on anything on earth, I will do it? You know, how many have heard the verse, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it? Okay, here you have another verse. If you abide in me, and my word abides you, you ask what you will, and it will be done. There's qualifiers in every one of those verses, folks. It's not just a, a blank check to say, okay, this is what I want today, and I'm just going to believe it. I'm going to say, okay, Joan, you and I, let's agree on this, and we'll make it happen. That's not, that's not what he's saying. So, so if you believe that, so two people can overpower the will of God. What if the whole world prayed against the will of God? you think that would change the will of God? I mean, it's just nonsense. And what we, quote, desire somehow requires God to do it because we desire it. That's not at all what he's saying here. Notice the qualifier. If you ask anything, what? In my name. What's that mean? It doesn't mean adding in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayer so we get it done. It means a relationship. It means a response to the Lordship of Christ in our life. Look at this passage here. There's qualifiers. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. That's two huge qualifiers. The point here is, if we're abiding in him and his words, word abides in us, then how do you think we're going to pray? Every time? Always going to be according to his will. If we, if we pray in his name, how are we going to pray? We're going to pray according to his will. Prayer is never, biblical prayer is never independent of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. For somehow we think that prayer and worship are two things we offer up to God. Here, God, receive it. Catch it. This is what we have for you today. Here's my worship. Here's my prayer. Catch them. There's nothing in the Christian life 
that is that is separated from the well, I don't influence is too soft a word from the need to for it to be initiated and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing. Prayer, worship, service, whatever you talk about, every discipline that we talk about in our Christian life, if it's not led by the Holy Spirit, if He's not empowering that, then it's not what we think it is. True worship, Jesus said, you know what, true worship is those who worship the, the Father in spirit and in truth. Not people who just offer up songs or offerings or whatever. True worship and true prayer is always led by the Holy Spirit. We don't initiate these things. The Spirit of God initiates them in us. And then it flows out of us to our Father. And here we have that again when he talks about asking things of God. Asking God to do something. Are, are we allowed to ask? Of course we are. And do sometimes we ask in a wrong way? Yeah. We're not perfect yet. But I'm convinced that what Jesus is trying to teach us here, that if we really realize that he is the vine and we need to abide in that vine, it will transform our prayer life, our worship, and certainly our service in the kingdom of God. Because once again, we will see that our focus needs to be him. And he will be the center of everything that we are. And you know, when Jesus Christ is the focus of everything we are, guess who receives glory? God. That's what he says here. God receives glory. And then, look at what he says at the end. So you will be my disciples. Discipleship is a call. Discipleship is a call to those who are saved. And it requires a response from us. And it requires intentionality from us. We have to intentionally say every day, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be attached to Jesus. Because he is the vine. And I want to, I want to see his fruit produced in my life. Go back to the beginning. I'll close with this thought. Go back to the beginning. Very beginning of the Bible. What do we say a couple weeks ago? We were created by him and for him. Everything flows out of that, folks. Everything flows out of that. Okay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together this evening and the reality of these truths that your word has, has shared to us. And I pray we will receive these things and uh, Father that we would hear your call a call to submission a call to surrender help us to see Lord that all the things that you're doing and what a great privilege you've given us to, that we might be a part of your great ministry here on earth but Lord help us to, to understand that what we're called to is to abide in you to focus on you to make you the center of our life and help us to see that in doing that, in genuinely doing that, all the other things will, will flow out of us naturally. And your fruit will be seen in us. And your Father will be glorified because of it. Lord, so thank you for the blessing of our salvation and the call to walk as your children. I pray this for my brothers and sisters this week. That we'll walk as your people, surrendered, submitted to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you.